this time in the meditation of God's word. Let's pray and ask God for the for his anointing that he will teach us. For he said that all of his children will be taught of the Lord. And we are his children. Let us ask God that we will have a teachable spirit this morning. Father, this morning, Father, we commit ourselves to your hands. Father, all of us here, your word says the anointing will teach you all things. And this morning we completely are dependent upon your anointing to teach us your ways, to show us your paths. Father, line upon line, precept upon precept. Line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. And grant us, O Lord, the, the Spirit, Father, this morning, the Holy Spirit, we shall be able to, Father, that we will be able to com- uh, compare spiritual things with spiritual things. And grant us the language of the Spirit so that we can communicate to the Spirit in each one of us this morning. Father, commit all of us into your hands. Anoint us afresh. And even in the speaking and in the, even, even in the hearing. And grant us the grace to be obedient to whatever we hear this morning. We thank you, we praise you, for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's turn to James chapter 5 and verse 17 and 18. 17 and 18. If you can put uh, the NKJV and the KJV, it'll be great. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 17 only in the KJV. It says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly. That's a powerful word. And in the Greek, the word is homeopathies. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's an interesting word, isn't it? <laughs> okay. So that's the word. Subject to like homoiopathies. Homoiopathies. Okay. Homo means same, similar. Okay. This particular word is so unique to the new covenant. Okay. And you will see that this is not, doesn't even exist in the old covenant, this particular word, by the way. Even though we study about Elijah. And it only occurs two times in the entire new covenant. And the other time, obviously, it occurs is in 1415 of Acts. Uh, we can actually put it in the KJV itself. And then we can... Uh, uh, it says... Uh, and... Yeah, 14 and 15. And saying, this is at Lystra, right? When ba- Paul and Barnabas healed that guy. Uh, and then suddenly they said, uh, Paul is... Uh, uh, Zeus, if I'm right, or her, and because he's a chief speaker, etc., and they want to sacrifice to them. So what Paul and Barnabas do? They tear their clothes and they run towards them and they say, "Sirs," verse 15, "Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you." It's remarkable. And the point is, they said we are like you. The equivalent statement. I heard a man of God saying this statement. We pray. Uh, and confess James chapter 5 verse 17. We say, Elijah was a man just like us. It's only a necessary condition. It's not a necessary and a sufficient condition most of the time. If you, if you, if you understand, if you want to understand what I mean, Elijah was a man just like us. The equivalent statement would be on the other side would be, I am a man like, oh, that's very difficult to confess, isn't it? 
How many of us can actually say with a clear conscience, <laughs> I am a man like Elijah? Very difficult. Very, very difficult. To, to become a man like Elijah, when we, we, and, and scripture says it is possible. <laughs> yeah. Can we say Elijah was just like me? <laughs> right? That's interesting, right? That's, that's personalizing scripture. Okay. I am a man like Elijah. So in other words, scripture says that we can become like him. I mean, that's a man in the old covenant and he was a man who was raptured, right? We can have a powerful testimony and a life of influence like him. That is possible. The whole purpose of the reading the Bible and is to understand the ways of God and the possibilities of every man, for every man who will surrender himself to God completely. These are the possibilities. You can be this. God shows you all these examples, having such a great cloud of witnesses, he says. Okay. They were all people just like us. They were ordinary folk. And therefore, it's very important for us to understand, because we have been studying from the life of Elijah, I just wanted to zero in on the person of Elijah. What made him, him, Elijah, a man who had this testimony about himself? I am alone who's left. What a statement that is. Even though it is not true, completely. But in, in as far as he's concerned, he's not like, he's absolutely alone. He doesn't see anybody coming and supporting him and saying, okay, Elijah, way to go man, I'm there for you. I have your back. Huh. No? Right. So, what made Elijah, Elijah? Is a question that I was looking at and I wanted to, uh, I, I wanted to Zero in on that and try to understand principles. And these are principles. These are doctrines, if you will. Okay. And these are not things which we have to take lightly. Because Malachi, don't have to turn there, four will say, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he will raise up an Elijah company. It's just not one person per se. It's going to be a bunch of guys who have the spirit of Elijah upon them. So, what is that which made Elijah have this fabulous testimony? As you can see in First Kings chapter nineteen, verse ten, look at what he says. He's uh, God is asking him this question: What are you doing, Elijah? And to that he answers nineteen ten of uh, of Kings, First Kings, and he says, "I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts," and he's not lying. That's his testimony. I have been zealous. I was zealous, which also has another connotation. I was jealous. Like Paul, I have been, I'm jealous for over you with godly jealousy. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life too. It's a powerful testimony, right? You know, there are several testimonies, right? My testimony about myself to God. I'm not talking about myself to people, to God. When God comes and says, you can, you should, you should have the courage like Paul who says, I have (laughs) fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I'm sorry. I've fought. I've kept. I've finished. What a statement. What a audacious statement he makes. What, what, did, what made Elijah Elijah? If you turn with me to 1st Kings chapter 17, we'll just glean. Okay. This is a process of gleaning through scripture. So this is going to be a teaching session. Okay. Elijah, the Tishbite. Of the inhabitants of Gilead. 
by the way the word the word for the word tishbite means captivity okay elijah the tishbite he's being made taken captive by god that's basically what it means okay captivity means you are a slave not of sin <laughs> but of righteousness you understand that okay we know from uh, Roman, romans chapter 6 having been set free from sin you became slaves of righteousness you become captives of righteousness but if you will of the inhabitants of gilead he said to ahab as the lord god of israel lives before whom i stand there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word this is his testimony and from those very words, you'll be able to understand some very important truths. That God is a living God. And He desires a living relationship. Yeah. Right. Important to understand these things. You know, to the church in Sardis, Jesus writes, He says, you have a reputation that you have, that you are alive, but you are dead. I did not find your works, what? Perfect before God. And he says, he who overcomes, I will not blot their name out of the book of life. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> turn there, turn there. If you, if you, if you can go to Revelation chapter 3, uh, and verse, um, um, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. You see, it's very interesting uh, exhortation there. That means you guys are very close to completely dying and you're so close to your names being blotted out from the book of life, in other words. Because you don't have a living testimony. That is, that is the reason why it says, let there be no evil heart of unbelief which causes you to depart from the Living God. It's a living God. It's a living relationship with God. You know that word. It is as body without the spirit is dead. Faith without works is dead. And he has a living relationship with God. What does it mean? In one sense it means this. A man who is this. First Timothy chapter 5 verse 6. Look at what it says. Hmm? But she who lives in pleasure is Dead while she lives. Okay, the word is given over yourself over to pleasure and it occurs once in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 16 verse 49 which says, this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She was given to a sensuous and a pleasure filled lifestyle. You see this, these words, right from there, from Elijah, you see this, this guy was, of course you know from his lifestyle, a man who was not pleasure driven. And then he has this audacity to say, as the Lord God of Israel who lives before whom I stand. The word for before is, it is literally means I stand before the face of God. That's what it means. <laughs> I stand before the face of God. Who can see the face of God and live? Okay. Jacob, when he saw the face of God, he said, I saw God face to face and I still live. Manoah, if I'm right, Manoah's wife, we saw God face to face and we are still alive. You are scared. It's not an easy thing to see the face of God. Once. Okay. 
Nadab and Abihu took a strange incense and went to the hole and wanted to offer this strange fire, profane fire, etc. And it says the presence of the Lord, fire came from the presence of the Lord, struck them and they died. And I don't know what that is. I think they saw just for the face of God. And they couldn't handle it. They just couldn't handle it. Those people just, 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 just saw, uh, I think it's the, um, Karshemesh, if I'm right, no, no, I don't, I don't know. Beth Shemesh, Beth Shemesh, uh, right, the Ark of the Covenant comes back over there, and the people in Beth Shemesh, they see, and they, 70,000 people die because they saw into the Ark. And they say, who can stand before the presence of this holy God? What a statement, and, sp- and Elijah has this audacity to say, I stand before the face of God. And yet he is a man just like, oh, that's a preposterous statement. And he is a man just like us. Hmm. Who can see and who can see the face of God? What a, sta- what a song that is, no? Let me see your face and die. <laughs> that's what John Wesley wrote. Moses died. Backward parts could view, but not a perfect sight uh, attain. The gospel all thy fullness show. To us by thy commandment slain. The pure in heart shall shall see thy face. The pure in heart shall see thy face. Okay. So impressing. These are all important things for us to understand. Elijah was a man just like us. And he says, you know what? I stand before the face of God. Boy, this is a powerful statement. That means he was a man who who had the fear of God in his heart. The fear of God. And what is the one thing which is lacking in many of us in different, different circumstances and why do we succumb to sin is because we don't have the fear of God. I remember pastor was talking about being familiar (laughs) with the man of God and with the, and we, and we, and we don't have the fear of God. It all shows in how we respect men of God, the anointing over the men of God. Who is this man? Joseph the carpenter's son. Even, right, right, I mean, he's not the, the, is he not the carpenter's son? Jesus the carpenter's son? Who's he? And they were offended, it says, because of him. And he says, I stand before the face of God. I stand. 24, 3, Psalm. Onwards. 3 to 6, if you will. Who may ascend into the holy hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? I mean, it's a rhetorical question in some sense. The answer is no one. (laughs) But then he also gives the answer. He who has, what? Clean hands. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. That means a man who's been dealing with sin continuously in his life. There are two, uh, what do you say, um, Object, I can't say objects. The two, uh, uh, substances which cleanse us is the blood of Jesus and the word of Jesus. Both. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from, from the penalty of sin and the word of Jesus purifies our mind so that we will be set apart and we will not sin. There's a continuous cleansing. A man who is being given to continuous cleansing, who's continuously sanctifying, sanctifying and sanitizing his hands in one, in some sense. He's a doctor basically, like Dr. Luke here. Huh? Huh? Continuously. 
He is very sensitive to sin. Okay. Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a what heart? Ah, oh, that's how you Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart. Oh, you double-minded. Oh, that, what does that mean? A man who is absolutely focused on God is united his mind and his heart to fear God's name. Okay. Clean hands and what we call as a absolutely singular mind. Concentration. You know, one of the most difficult things for all of us to do is to be at one place at one time and concentrate on one thing. Yeah. Genius is what? 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration to be concentrated on one particular thing. To be able to focus and to put away all distractions when everything is clamoring for our attention. A man who has been cleansing his hands continuously from sin. That means you are sensitive to sin. That's what it says in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 17. Walk thou before me and be thou blameless. 17.1 Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am the almighty God. Walk before. You know what the word before means? Walk before my face. Understand that I am looking at you. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding what is evil and that which is good. 15.3 Proverbs. Okay, go there if you want. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil. Whither shall I flee from thy presence? What is the word for presence? From your face. (laughs) If I make my bed in hell, you are there. (laughs) That's interesting. If I make my bed in hell. Whenever you are sinning, it's always a convenient position. Make my bed in hell. Okay, a man who's continuously cleansing himself of sin. That is the reason why if you walk, if you are in the light as he is in the light, you will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin. Cleansing is happening. Boy, my brothers and sisters, are are we given to cleansing continuously? This is not ordinary things. These are important truths so that we can be like what? We, have, we will have say, I am, I am like Elijah. Can you imagine the, that challenge? When the scripture says, Elijah was just like me, Lord, grant me the grace, one day I will have the, the, the gumption, if you will, the chutzpah, chutzpah, <laughs> the chutzpah to say, I am like Elijah. That will be like awesome, isn't it? Is it possible? Oh yeah. The eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil. That means, it says in uh, First Chronicles, if I'm right, uh, chapter 16, don't have to turn this. Chapter 16, don't have to turn there. It says, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro to make himself strong upon the uh, uh, on behalf of them whose hearts are stayed on him. He will keep him in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. You see, singularity of purpose and a mindset which is saying, Lord, I know that I can sin, sensitive to sin, constantly cleansing himself, what we call as people having, keeping short accounts with God and with man. What a statement that Paul makes. 
I endeavor to keep my conscience always clear before God and man. What a statement. What a statement. My conscience is clear. And he says, in as far as I am concerned with God, I don't have anything against God. But that doesn't mean that I am justified. <laughs> okay. But there is no conscious sin in my life. There is no unconfessed sin. What was, why was he such a bold guy? What was the reason for the boldness in the life of the Apostle Paul? Because one of the reasons why he had this clear conscience with God and with man, he knows he can look people in the eye and can say, you know what? I've not done you anything wrong. Think about this guy who harmed the church. He can have a clear conscience like that. Can we not? Oh yeah, we can. But do you have this desire is a question. Whole purpose of the preaching of the word of God is to create that desire. Don't limit God is the last, the last verse that we heard last time, right? In the last teaching. Don't limit God. Don't put limits. Simae matrakho. So understand this. So, and he says, let's go back to Psalm 24. He says, a man who's got clean hands and a pure heart, and, and he says, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. That means there's no idols in his heart. <laughs> what a statement. You know, even his ministry is not his idol. No idol. He has not lifted up his soul to an idol. That means one of the things we need to understand, his soul was completely under the control of the Spirit of God. That's what it means. Okay. There is a spiritual man and there is a natural man is what they're rendering is, is a soulish man. The word is sukikos. In the, in the, in the, in the Greek, sukikos, suke, from which we get the word psychiatry, psychology, etc. And you know what? Most of the problems are the problems of the soul and not of the spirit. And all the demonic problems are in the problems of the soul. So all psychiatry and psychology is absolutely a bunch of nonsense. Because they don't deal with the demonic at all. James 3.15 if you will. Turn there. James 3.15. The wisdom that does not descend from above. What is it? It is Earthly, it is, the word is sensual, it is soulish and it is demonic simply because the soul is a battle for all the demons. That is the reason why it's a battle for the soul of mind. It's the battle for the mind. All demonic activities here in the mind. Okay. Actually, in Jude 115, if I'm right. Jude 115. Let's see. Uh, no. The word of the spirit it says, 117. See, which verse is that? Devoid of the spirit. Okay, okay, okay. Jude, 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 Jude. Oh, 19, sorry, 119. Yes, 119. These are what? Sensual persons. Who are they? Soulish again. 
Okay. These are soulish persons who cause divisions and what do they don't have? They do not have the spirit of God. Devoid of the spirit. And what does he say? I'm a man who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. And the, actually uh, the, the KJV uses the word for to vanity. Mm-hmm. To vanity. And then he says, not sworn deceitfully. There's no deception in his heart. <laughs> This absolutely guileless person he is. It's transparency in his life. My goodness, grant us grace, Lord, to that end. How so prone to hiding our sin, right? To project as uh, ourselves as more godly than we actually are, most of the time. Hmm? And then he says, verse 5 and 6 of Psalm, uh, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation who seek him, who seek your face. You see, these are the people who stand before God. That is Elijah. But how did Elijah come to this point? Okay, what made Elijah Elijah? Hmm. Turn to, turn to again, first Kings chapter 17, verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, after after he pronounces this this, uh, judgment over Ahab and Israel, he says, get away from here, turn eastward, so many instructions, get away, turn and hide, (laughs) three things, (laughs) it's very interesting, get away, turn eastward, and hide by the brew Kherith, which flows into the Jordan. That's interesting. And uh, verse 4, we know. We've heard it so many times. Just want to look at verse 3. As I said, I'm gleaning. Okay. Gleaning, okay, it's not harvesting, it is gleaning. Hmm? Get away from here, turn eastward, and hide. By the way, the word for Kherith, what does word Kherith mean? To cut away is a good word. Actually comes from the Hebrew word harat. Now that is an interesting word. Okay. Now because there's so many interesting words and the word of the Lord is terse, T-E-R-S-E. And he's very thrifty also. So when he's, when he's using words, you have to be very careful as to what those words mean. Hide by the brook kherit. The word comes from the Hebrew word harat, which actually means, and I want you to guess this word, turn to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 26. Mm-hmm. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26. Okay, this is a, this talking about the 70, 70 weeks of Daniel, if you will. And after, okay, I, 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 I please uh, put it in both NIV and this also, okay, no? And after the 62 weeks, the Messiah or the anointed one shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now tell me which word is Herith? Cut off. Okay, understand that. Alright? Uh, where is he cut off? Jesus is cut off where? On the cross. No, I, 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 that is the reason why I want you to put it, look at the word in NIV. Look at what, what it says in NIV. Mm-hmm. After 62 weeks, the, oh, sorry. Oh, you know what? Uh, there's another NIV. This is the NIV UK version. Okay. It says, I'm going to read it for you. Mm-hmm. And the 62 weeks or 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Ah, that's an interesting word. 
Where is he put to death? Is it there? Oh, okay, he will be killed. Okay, NLT, okay, okay. After this period of 62 sets of sevens, the anointed one will be killed or will be put to death. That is Kharat. Okay, now where is Elijah going? <laughs> He's hiding himself. Where? Kharat. Behind the cross. What is happening there for now? There is a work of the cross which is happening in the life of Elijah. And therefore, if the work of the cross will happen in each one of our lives, we can also confidently say, Elijah is a man just like us. And therefore, I am also like Elijah. (laughs) The work of the cross. You see, cross everywhere. Cut off. Keep an eye on that word cut off. What did he do? Elijah went eastward. Okay. And hid himself. Where? Behind the cross. That's what it means. That is where cutting off happens. So there are two things the cross does. There's a work of the cross that cross does for us. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses. It's the blood of the covenant. The blood of ransom. He pays for the penalty of our sin. And then there's a work of the cross which is done inside of us. Okay, the our old man, which was crucified on the cross, according to uh, Romans chapter 6 verse 6. And we want to look at these very important truths over here. What does it mean to hide himself on the cross? Is to hide himself from the influence of the world. Why is Elijah, Elijah? Simply because he has hidden himself from the influence of the world. Now turn with me to Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. We know this verse very well. But let us understand it in a little more depth today. A little more. But God forbid. It's a very Hebrew, Hebraic expression. Okay, God forbid. Hmm. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. No, this is what in one of his teachings, Derek Prince, what he, this is what he says. Listen to this carefully. He says, between the world and me, there is the cross. When I see the world, I see a crucified figure. Who is that? Jesus. And when the world sees me, it sees a crucified figure. Who's that? No, me. <laughs> Understand that. Okay. That's what it means. When the cross, by the, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So between the world and me stands, stands the cross. So when I see the world, I see the cross. Okay. When the world sees that, sees me, it also sees the cross on which, when I see the world, I see Jesus. When the world sees me, it sees a dead guy. Completely dead to the world. What does it mean? The world and I don't get along with each other at all. What 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 is that? The world and I are not friends at all. We are absolutely uncomfortable with each other. But if we are comfortable with the world, and with worldly friends, you will be very careful. Look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter 15, 
verse 18 onwards. Okay, let us read this carefully. Mm-hmm. 18 onwards, 15, 18 onwards. If the world hates you, <laughs> that means what? You hate the world and the world hates you. It's a, there's no love-hate relationship. And when you're saying world, you are hating the world, you're not, you're not talking about the people in the world. God so loved the world. He's talking about the people in the world. We are talking about not the world, we are talking about the order. The system. The system which is a rebel. Which does not want to acknowledge God at all and factor God at all in their decisions. Whatever those decisions be. Financial, educational, marital, political, economical. Whatever decisions that you are making, educational, you don't factor God at all. You do, you think about this now. Think about it. What is the one thing that we learn in schools? Have we learned any time, anywhere about creation at all in any of our textbooks? Even in India, people all, we have, in social studies, we talk, we talk about all religions. Sarva Dharma, Aiketha, Sabkyoshima, we talk about all those things, but, when it comes to is it biology, my goodness, I think it was ninth grade when I was introduced to the creation, the theory of of evolution, and it was so convincing. Stunning, stunningly convincing. Then what happened to me? I'm, I'm telling you honestly, I started reinterpreting the Bible from the light of evolution. I did that. See that? I, I, I remember it so vividly. Okay, I remember the professor also who used to teach us biology. A lean guy, a Catholic Catholic guy. <laughs> it's very interesting. He was talking about evolution so convincingly. Survival of the fittest. It's theory of natural selection. Etc. Etc. Such convincing arguments, boss. And then we go to the Bible. And then we say, okay, Genesis 1 might have been taken so many years to evolve. Might have taken. That is how I started reinterpreting the Bible. You understand all these ideas? It's a world system which is completely antithetical to God. Okay. Which never factors God at all in their thinking. It's a total natural world order. What we call the new world order which is coming. And there was one world order which was completely judged. You know that, right? First Peter chapter 3. Verse 4 onwards. Actually 3 onwards. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 3 onwards. Second Peter chapter 3. Okay, thank you so much. Sorry. Uh, knowing this first that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to the own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? This is the, this is the, this is the, the philosophy of this world. Everything continues as it is. Okay. The sun goes around. The sun. 365 days in a year plus one fourth. We'll factor that one fourth later on and we will celebrate Olympics also. That has also been changed this year. And we will still call it Tokyo 2020. Okay. Even though it's going to take place in 2021. If the COVID does not break, break out, if there's no new COVID that time. We'll factor in. Everything goes around just like this. Meaning no interference from outside will ever happen. That's what it means. 
That's the world system. What is the world system? We, we are not expecting any outside interference at all. For since the fathers fell asleep, <laughs> all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Look at what it says in verse 5. It's very interesting. For this they willfully forget that the by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world, verse 6, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. The same word, cosmos. It was, dead, it was destroyed by the sudden intervention without warning from God, except of course to Noah. And it says, Noah being warned of God, moved with godly fear, made himself an ark for him and his family. And by his work, he became, he was declared as righteous. Understand that? So world order is a system which is totally, and we don't factor God at all inside of it. So what is it? The world will hate you, by the way. Okay, let's go back to John's Gospel chapter 15. Verse 19 onwards again now. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And he says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Understand this. There's a very interesting verse in the book of Proverbs. 29-27. A very interesting verse. Okay, I love this verse very much. Okay. Understand. Okay, <laughs> look at this. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. And he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the oh, wicked. It's an it's a it's a one-to-one correspondence. Okay. The world you hate the world in another person, and the world will naturally hate you. You are not, you cannot have anything in common. Can Christ have anything in common with Belial? No, absolutely not. See, unjust man is an abomination to the righteous and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. The world will hate you. But you know what? Let's go back to something. John's Gospel chapter 15, it will say something very interesting again. Verse uh, 22 onwards. Yeah. It says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, hates my father also. And go on, go on, go on, my dear brothers. Yeah, let's read till verse 25. But if, if I had, if I had not, if I had not done among them the works, etc., verse 25. But this happened to me, to, to happen that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. You see, when the world hates you, it should hate you. Remember, even the allegations they brought against David, uh, against Jesus. This man blasphemed. Witnesses came, and their testimonies did not agree. Just crucify him. What did he do, Baba? What did he do? He said, "Destroy this temple, and he will build it in three days." Crucify him. Did he say that he will destroy the temple? Uh, 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 answer: No. This <laughs> is interesting, isn't it? Even there, he was not even, even if they, if, if Jesus intended that he was going to destroy the Jerusalem temple. He didn't intend that. He said, destroy this temple and I will build it back in three days. And John says he was talking about the temple of his body. 
So when they brought all these allegations, it was absolutely nonsense allegations. And that is the reason why, you know what he says, Pilate knows that it was because of envy they crucified him. There was no reason for him to be hated at all. That should be our testimony also. When they look at us, they should hate us without cause. Joseph's brother hated him. But was there a cause? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, this is my dream. What do you think? He was not asking for information or interpretation. He knew the interpretation very well. <laughs> okay. Okay, he knew the interpretation very well. Okay. Dad, uh, moment you are also bowing. Dad is also upset. Okay. The interpretation everybody knew. He also knew. So God had to deal with him. So there was some cause for him to be uh, hated by his brothers. But Jesus, absolutely nothing. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and he went about doing what? Good to all. There was no reason for anybody to hate him at all. The world will hate you. You also hate the world system. You don't want to be a part of it. But when they hate you, they hate you without a cause. You know what? This Vijay, he has not done one harm to me. They cannot. Which of you? What a what a statement. Which of you can convict me of sin? Bring your allegations. Come on. The prince of this world has come and he has found nothing in me. I think we should switch off our phones. Put them in airplane mode. Hmm? But this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That is the reason why in First Peter chapter 3, and uh, sorry, chapter 2, uh, it says uh, verse 19 to 21. This is what he says. Hmm? For this is commendable. If because of conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering, wrongfully. For what credit it is? When you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But, when you do good, and you suffer. If you take it patiently, then it is commendable before God. This is the world. What is happening? He's, he's dying to the world. To the What is the world? What is the world interested in? You know what it is interested in? Show. 7. John's Gospel. John's Gospel chapter 7. You know what it says? And verse uh, 4 onwards. For no one who does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Who said this? Jesus' brothers. For even his brothers did not believe in. And you know what Jesus says? Verse 6. The world cannot hate you. <laughs> the world cannot, verse 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Why the works are evil? Because it's all show. Full show. So, the world will hate you. And another thing, you know, what, is, what, why should we come out of this world system? It says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 19, very interesting verse, okay. 1 John chapter 5 verse 19. Hmm? We know that we are of God and the 
whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. By the way, if you look at the original translation, the, the word under the sway is in italics. How does it say in your Bible, Peter? 5, 519? The whole world is under the sway. Sway is in italics, isn't it? Of the, of the evil one. You know what actually is? Yeah. Lieth in the wickedness. The whole world lies in wickedness. Everything in the world is in wickedness. It's of the evil one. So you are either in God or in Christ. Where if you are in the world, then you are in Satan. That's what it means. Therefore, you see how important it is to be separated from the world. The work of the work of cross, work that cross has to done in our life, to be has to do in our lives, just to cut us away from the world. It's what is it interested in? It's interested in show, outward appearance. First Peter chapter three verse three. Look at what it says. Just verse three, verse three and four. That's enough. Hmm? Let, do not let your you know what the word for adornment is? World. That's a word. Cosmos. From which we get the word cosmetic. I told you, right? Do not let your adornment be merely outward. Arranging the hair. Wearing gold or putting on a fine apparel. A man who comes with gay clothing and the man who comes with uh, very poor clothing. What do you do to the man who comes with poor clothing? Sit under my, at my footstool. And you sit on my throne. And what have you become? You become judges of evil thoughts, it says in James. And it was for, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart, which is the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Take off your ornaments. Okay. Take off your ornaments. That's the word world, cosmos. Verse 33, Exodus chapter 33, verse 4, to six. And when the people heard this bad news, what is the bad news? I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send the angel of God with you. Okay. Then when the people heard this bad news, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. That's the word for cosmos again. For the, for the Lord said to, said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are such stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst on one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments. Let me tell you something. When we have things of the world on, on top of us, on, on of us, in terms of, you know, on, on top of us, in terms of apparel, it's like, you know, it's like a portal inviting the enemy. Like it's, it's like, you know, um, you go to, uh, Gachiboli, you'll find, uh, Lanko Hills. On each of those Lanko Hills, you have one, what, what, what we call as what? Top of Lanko Hills is what, what is it? What is, what is there? On top. Every block, apartment block in Lanco Hills or something on right on top. What is what is there right on top? You know what is there? Helipad. Every apartment has got a helipad. You know, that means if ever there's a helicopter which is which is going, you're inviting, okay, there's a pad over here, you can come and land. And all your clothes and your 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 ornaments and your earrings, which is of the world, are like helipads for the enemy. So take off your ornaments. You see? Why are we saying, you know, you should dress very nicely and not worldly? Because if you dress worldly, whom do you attract? 
you attract unnecessary attention and demons too. You see that? Apparel proclaimeth the man. What kind of a man is he? Worldly or wordly? Understand that? That should be, there should be a clear distinction between how we dress. We don't dress to attract attention at all. One of the things that I had to learn after coming into the ministry, to dress properly, formal wear, which is totally informal to me, right from the time when I started going to university. University is only shorts and tees. And even the director comes with a t-shirt. Department heads and professors comes in with shorts. A total casual attitude. And he says, you know what, when you come to my presence, don't even show your nakedness. Because nakedness is of the world. Have you seen the entire sports sports system? You see, that is, how do they dress? Uh, skimpy. Oh, don't look at our clothes. Look at what we do. Thank you. And that is the reason why I don't watch women's tennis at all. First of all, it's Idiotic and boring when compared to men's tennis. Okay. It's only for two sets. Best of three. And most of the time, one the other woman is only winning. That is Serena. Huh? There's no challenger at all over there. And they fight for equal pay. Okay, Baba, fight. Why should, I mean, see, it should be an equitable market. We are not talking about we should give you your, your, your lesser or greater. No, no. Who brings the maximum amount of uh, endorsements into sports, uh, in as far as tennis is concerned? Men's tennis or women's tennis? Men's tennis. Okay. We are not saying that we should look down upon women. And the, you, have you ever seen, you, can you ever see women's tennis with a, <laughs> with, uh, with, with, with objective purposes? To see backhands and forehands? I don't think so. It's possible. The grace and elegance? No. Sorry. Doesn't happen. If you want to see grace and elegance, watch Federer. If you want to see Matador, watch Rafa. That's it. Between these two, that's it. And if you want to watch a nutcase, watch Djokovic. That's all. Sorry, Joko fans, but that's, it's a reality. You see? It's a, it's a whole world. It's a helipad for the enemy. Come, 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 come here. Come. I'm inviting you. It's a portal. That's the reason why, what is the dress of Elijah? Totally unattractive. So distinct from the rest of the world. So distinct from the rest of the world. First of all, he does not attract attention to him, but we know, we can identify, this guy is a different guy, he's a man of God. In terms of his dressing habits and his eating habits both. Amazing. Think about it, no? The crow has to feed you. Now where all that crow puts his beak? Before it brings that food, I don't know. Can you imagine this guy, how he's being trained by God? That is the reason why, you know what it says, those who live sumptuously 
and who put five in apparel are in kings. But what did you go in the wilderness to see? A man in expensive garments? Absolutely not. A man who is a prophet? And he says, no, more than a prophet. That is Elijah company. Who are not interested in the outward appearance at all. They don't wear clothes to attract attention. They dress soberly. They don't dress dirty also. No, no, one of the persons I really admire who has been consistent in his dressing, of course, is Pastor James. And second thing is Zach Bunan. Every time he preaches the word, he has full, he has full hands. I have never seen him in his 50 years of preaching ministry wearing any half-hand shirt. His children and all wear t-shirts and all. Okay, they are the modern generation and uh, they believe in not no longer outward appearance, etc. It's interesting, isn't it? We walk by faith and not by... You know what the word for sight means? Appearance. We walk by faith and not by appearance. I've never seen... And he, another person I really admire in that sense is Shibu. Shibu is another guy. Absolutely methodically dressed. Perfect from head to toe. Never seen uh, Zach Punan preaching in any other clothes except in uh, full hands. Even while he is preaching from his home on a, on a, on a let's say, on a sofa set and he sits and he wears clothing which is Descend and becoming of a man of God, right? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Always full hands. And when people are a little, little very fundu in their dressing, you have to be very careful. Because they are not, they are not, they are, they are representing God, right? There should be a sense of respect and awe. Apparel proclaimed the man, my dear brothers. Is he worldly or? Wordly, what are you? So, the work of the world, I mean the work of the cross is to separate you and cut you off from the world. I'm dead to this world system. I'm not going to be bothered about this world order. It's a rebel order. It is anti-God. It's a love killer, as we heard in the Q&A session, right? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the world and the flesh are friends. We have to escape the corruption which is in the world through lust. Okay, yeah, we have to escape the corruption which is in the world through lust. So, lust is there in the flesh basically. And the, So, what has to be crucified? The world has to be crucified to be an eye to the world. And the second thing we have to do at Herod's the work of the cross is to cut away what we call as the flesh. If you turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 verse 24. Mm-hmm. It says, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Cut off the flesh. You see, there's no disciple, there's no uh, disciple without discipline. I want to show you a word, which is a stunning word, okay? I'm sure you would have heard it so many times, but in the context of what we are hearing, I want you to guess the word kharat, okay? Job 31.1. 
Okay, what does it say? I've made a covenant with my eyes. Then why should why then should I look upon a woman or a maid? Young maid, young woman, okay. Now tell me what is the word for kharat? Made a covenant. I've cut off. We'll come to that a little later. You see, there is no discipleship. I mean, there's no uh, Christianity without discipleship. What did I say? There's no Christianity without discipleship. Turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse... um, Sorry, just a minute please. Uh, 25 and 26. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Who were called Christians? Disciples. Understand that. So there is no Christianity without discipleship. I am a Christian. Are you a disciple? Now, who is a disciple? The one who practices disciplines is a disciple. What did I say? The one who practices disciplines is a disciple. If George is listening to me, he'll have a smile on his face because I'm sure he is going to, something is going to ring in his mind. Or a bell. Okay. There is what we call as a spirit of the disciplines. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He tells Timothy, in first, second Timothy chapter 1 verse 6 and 7, don't have to turn there. He says, stir up the gift that is, which is, which is, which is in you, which was, uh, which you received by the laying on of hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's the word, self-discipline. And we know the saying in the world, self-discipline is a free man's Yoke. The one thing which he has to take a yoke upon himself. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's a free man's yoke. You're free now. But you have to take a yoke. Okay. And discipline yourself. Let me tell you something. Many things in life you don't enjoy. But you still do them. Because it is it's important for you. See, if, like for example, we, we've been taught, right? The world is pleasure driven. We all seek for pleasure in certain things. But so many times, some of the things that we are supposed to do don't, they don't give us pleasure. But we still do it. Okay. To really come to the point of pleasure, you have to, you have to go through a point of, through a process of discipline. Yeah. And people who really make their minds, literally, to go through this process of disciplining are the people who are successful. Okay. There is no Gain without pain. No pain, no gain. Okay. Alright. There is, I'll tell you, let me give you an example. No, let's give, many of us, many of us, when I was growing up, I didn't enjoy, for example, Telugu and Hindi. The languages, that word, Telugu was like, okay, let me just get rid of Telugu as soon as possible. But then, you know, my parents used to teach me recitations. In Telugu, right from the time of when I was a child, recite, 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 recite. I 
learnt hundreds of poems when I was a kid. That was a discipline which was inculcated in me. I had no idea and I used to hate it. The process of going through the process of memorization was a huge pain. <laughs> no, and I used to really enjoy it as much. But then later on in life, what I learned when I was a kid, when I used to, when I used to bring it out like rumination, no? Like, you know, the, you just get that cut out and you start chewing on it, you'll have pleasure. You enjoy it. It makes a lot of sense. But when I'm doing those, those, those things, those processes over and over and over again, it never gave me any pleasure. But if you make up your mind and you surrender yourself to that process, it brings a lot of fruit later on. That's what we call as a fruit of discipline. It yields the peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness and holiness, both. That will be made partakers of his holiness, he says, right? No, if you look at the entire Bible, what are the disciplines for Christian living? If you were to ask this question, a lot of people, off the top of the head, they will say, read your Bible, pray every day, go to church, uh, listen to a godly people, etc., etc. They have a, a random collection of whatever disciplines that they have been taught. But the early church taught a lot of disciplines which are a part of the life of Christ. Disciplines for Christian living. If you turn with me, so first Peter chapter two, verse eleven onwards. Just read eleven, that's enough. Okay. First Peter chapter two, verse eleven. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The word for abstain, that what, what we call as the disciplines of abstinence. Okay, so let me show you what the disciplines of abstinences are. There are seven disciplines. How many? Seven disciplines, okay? First discipline of abstinence. Practice what we call as solitude. What did I say? Solitude. Okay? The discipline of abstinence. Okay? Practice what we call as solitude. Before we go to the disciplines of abstinence, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. We know this verse very well again. 22 and 23 together. Abstain from every form of evil. Actually the word appearance of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved, bailments, etc. Okay. Abstain. The discipline of abstinence. Again, Acts chapter 15, verse 19 and 20. Okay. This is the council at Jerusalem, which is giving this particular thing to the Gentiles. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. Abstain. The discipline of abstinence. The first discipline that we have to really think about or practice over a period of time is what we call as a discipline of solitude. The seven disciplines. So uh, listen to me carefully. Okay. So first discipline is a discipline of solitude. Mark 1 verse 35, favorite verse of Pastor James. We know this verse very well. Okay. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, not just at the dawn of daylight, a long while before daylight, Think about it, no? How the modern day has corrupted our entire system. 
you work in the night, sleep in the day, it is actually contrary to our nature, right? See, think about it, no? It doesn't matter how much you practice to work in the night and sleep in the day, it's still contrary to nature, you'll never be fresh in the morning. You'll still need to go over the weekend and catch your sleep and sleep off all those abstaining hours in the night. How the world system is totally antithetical to this. Now, in the morning, have risen, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. And that is where he could pray with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. Practicing solitude is such an important thing. My, my, in my home, the most solitude places are terrace. I am telling you, there's one bench there. My landlord's made. You sit there. You listen to the word. Boy, I, I'm, I've discovered it not regularly. Whenever I'm preparing for the word, I go upstairs there and I'm sitting there. I'm typing, you know. my So if, even if my wife has to call me, she has to come up and be there. So... It's a very <laughs> interesting position to, to be in, okay? She has to come up there and she, so it's not easy. Okay, Vijay, she can't call me like, just like that. If I'm inside my home, oh, the children have to get ready, this has to go, oh, that, 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 so many things clamoring for my attention. So what do you do? Get up, long while, and scoot off. Where? On top. Solidary place. And there he prayed. So even if people have to disturb you, they have to make an effort to come. Understand that? Solitary place. That's exactly what happened to even Jesus' disciples. The crowds were waiting and he was up in a solitary place. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? They started searching for him. They had to literally search. They had to make a lot of effort to disturb him. Of course, he would not be disturbed. Practicing solitude. It's so important. Okay. Another place. Luke's Gospel chapter 5 verses 16, 15 and 16. Luke's Gospel chapter 5 verses 15 and 16. Hmm? He, so he himself. Okay. However, the report went around concerning him all the more and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. So, he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Often. How often was that? Then think about it. If Jesus himself had to practice solitude, how much more you and I? Nowadays we are getting Pastor James's uh, what do you say? Devotions by 4.15, 4.30. Solitude. Regularly. Practicing solitude. 14.23 of Matthew. So 22 onwards. 14.22 and 22 onwards. 14.22. Hmm? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This is after feeding the 5,000. And they're all getting excited, no? Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the top of the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone. I like that word. Underline it in your Bible. He was alone there. The discipline of solitude. Kheriyat. Discipline of solitude. It's very difficult for people to be alone. Oh, they want crowds all the time. For so many people, without crowds, there is no meaning at all. 
I mean, we are not saying that, see, Jesus had a very well-balanced life. He was with God alone and he was with people. We are either one extreme or the other. What is one extreme? We are either with people and or never alone or we are, we are with or, or alone and never with people. The balance between the two is important. See, these this, this disciplines, we, we swing from one extreme to the other. I'll tell you something, no? I see this modern day methods of teaching children. When we were in school, we were supposed to go to school and listen. Whether the teacher was interesting or not, interesting or not was besides the point. I was in LKG, UKG, I don't know how many of my classes were actually interesting. But I had to sit in the school for 6 hours a day. Morning 8.30 to 3.30. Sit there. Oh, but oh, but attention spans are very less, less, less today. If you don't entertain them, they will not sit for long hours. No, I am not saying that we should not make the class interesting. We should not make the class only interesting. No, 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 that, those days, sit in the class, sit and learn, that's it. Whether you like it or not, eat it. But now the pendulum has completely swung the other way. Zoom classes, we have to dress with red. Huh? We should put uh, everything to attract the senses of the ch- child. I'm telling you, so we, because we're doing um, online classes for the children, my goodness, you should see how less the attention spans are. Much of the church is like that now. There is no solid discipline of sitting and listening to the word of God. Oh, oh, it's not interesting. So I'll not listen. Understand that. Okay. Solitude. I'll show you another verse. One of my favorites. Turn to Genesis chapter 32. Verse 22 onwards. Okay. Immediately. Okay. Okay. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold the man. Sorry. 32. 32 verse 22. Genesis chapter 32 verse 22. 32, 22. Yeah. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants and his uh, eleven sons and crossed over the four of Jabok. He took them, sent them over the brook and he sent over what he had. And then, and Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Left alone. These are important truths in our lives. To be left alone with God. I think that's what Moses used to practice in the wilderness. And one of his uh, motivations was, Madam, it's, that's what it says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. No, it is better to live in the lattice than to be with a nagging wife. And this fellow was living in the lattice, who? Solomon. Because he had one wife who was very nagging. Then he came down the lattice and he went to another home. And he said, Baba, this woman, <laughs> I should run into the wilderness only. <laughs> Better to dwell in the wilderness. This is what Moses used to do. Often, <laughs> go into the wilderness, solitude. And one day, he was genuinely alone, I guess, I believe. And he saw God. He was left alone. Solitude. Often taking time to be alone with God. You see, it's a tremendous discipline. You know that? It's not easy. In the morning, to not see your mobile phone, shut it down, go upstairs, take your Bible, 
and put in a message and listen to God only. It's not easy. So we have to find ways to practice that and inculcate it. Three and a half years at Kerith Baba, alone. No fellowship, nothing. Solitude. Second discipline. First is solitude. So when you are solitude, what is the other discipline that you will automatically practice is silence. What is that? Ah, silence. Adi, that is very difficult. Very, very, very difficult. We can be silent in our mouth and very, very talkative with our fingers. And that's what it says, no? The son of Bilal in Proverbs chapter 6, he says, he winks with, and he talks with his fingers, it says. He's talking with his fingers. He's silent with his mouth. Talking with his fingers. Now we only <laughs> swipe with our fingers. I gave my new Android phone to my wife. She's very much used to texting. Now she's like testing like anything. You know why? Because that, that's got an app, no? You just keep swiping like that and the words just come onto the screen like that. Auto-correction. Dictionary installed app. View. Very difficult to be silent. Turn with me to James chapter 1 verse 19 and 20. You know this very well. Hmm? So then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, one of the things that in our own culture, they practice something which is called as Maunvrat. Maunvrat. You know, that is the Gentiles may have. Why? Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19. What does it say? In the multitude of words, what is not lacking? Sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is who? His wise. Speak very little. You know, Solomon had this fantastic temple. Okay. No, often he would go to the temple and he would also see worshippers coming to the temple and he would observe what they were saying and what they were praying. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, look at what it says. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 onwards. Hmm? Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do Evil. And then look at, look at it. What's close to? Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Silence. Silence, silence, silence. For a dream comes through much activity. Most of our dreams are not God given. Lot of business we do. And a fool's voice is known by his many words. <laughs> what clarity here is God, Baba? So he was looking at this worshipper who was coming to God. No, oh Lord, I will do this for you. I will do that for you. I will do that for you. And immediately goes out and he forgets what all he has said. Okay. Psalm 39 verses 1 and 2. Hmm? Again, our favorite verses of Sister Elsa, I believe. I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. 
you should not muzzle the ox which is treading the corn. But please muzzle your mouth from speaking words. While the wicked are before me, I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good and my sorrow was stirred up. Silence. 4 4, Psalm. Hmm? Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. The word is actually to be silent. Keep your mouth shut. James chapter 1 verse 26. We know this verse very well. Huh. Verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Life and death is in the Power of the tongue, 1821 Proverbs. Do you see those verses, no? For all those people who want to study. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. So don't speak so much. Practice silence. Silence means, practice silence means practice typing emails. Practice typing. People are on WhatsApp 24 by 7. Have you seen that? 24 people. They just flip, flip, open, 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 open. My goodness, I'm thinking about all the distractions that we are getting used to these days. Can we literally inculcate the spirit of disciplines in these, in these days? Can we be silent? Elijah was silent for three and a half years. Nobody to talk to. Only to God. Three and a half years of silence. Interesting. Psalm 131 is one of the psalm of essence. Let's read the whole psalm together. Psalm 131. Look at what it says. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. What is he doing? He's practicing silence. You know how he practices silence? Verses 2 and 3. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord for this time forth and forever. I am quietened myself, it says in KJV. I quietened myself. I will keep quiet. I will not speak. I will be in the presence of the Lord. Okay. Quietness. So first thing was solitude. Second thing is silence. Silence. Oh, it's so very difficult, no, for us, for Pentecostals to be silent. You have to say something. Hallelujah. Somebody has to say hallelujah somewhere. Okay. We cannot practice silence at all. <laughs> okay. Silence. Practicing solitude and silence being alone with God. That is when he was broken. You know, you know how we, what he entreated, he entreated the favor of God in a silence. He was with his weeping. And he was broken. And he was alone with God. That is when he said, you know, what is your name? <laughs> this is what I am going. Being alone, solitude. Often be in solitude with God. Let us do that, my dear brothers. Otherwise, Elijah is a man of like passions is what we know from scripture. But we will can never confess that I am like Elijah. It is very difficult for us to do that. The possibility is there. But if there be first a willing mind... Then it is not according to what one does not have, but what according to one has. And we can develop it over a period of time. Next is 
First is solitude. Second is silence. Third is fasting. What is that? Fasting. Very important. Very, 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 very important discipline of fasting. Okay, oh, we, we have been taught in our church over and over again, but once again, we will be taught. And Elijah was taught the discipline of fasting. Okay. Matthew chapter 6 verse 16. Just one word. Matthew. Moreover, what? When you fast. Very important. It is not if you fast. It is when you fast. It is a given. A lifestyle of fasting is a given. And then you will know how much you are used to food. Right? And Elijah had to, like we know that, Elijah had to go through the pain of what his people are suffering. And how could he go through that pain? Only through a lifestyle of fasting. Oh yes, my meals are taken care of. Let me relax. No. <laughs> okay. Three and a half years of literally living in the simplest of food. That's the reason why he says those who dress beautifully and eat sumptuously are found there. But this guy has been given over. You know what he says? When you have a food coming from the king's table, what should you do? What should you put? A throat on a knife or on, on your throat. You know what it means? What what happens when you put a knife on your throat? If you eat more, what will happen to you? You will die, basically. The knife will cut you, no, basically. That is what it means. Okay. Delicacies, everything is so, so, so. We want the range of foods. Okay. Foods for the belly, belly for the foods. Amen, we say. No, 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 no. <laughs> no what, 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 you know what God says? God will destroy both it and them. Belly and them also, the foods also. Okay. We want delicacies. Simple food, very, very difficult. Okay, no, when I'm saying delicacies, a lot of people say, no, 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 I don't eat very costly food. Oh, but you're given to sugar and sweet and what, what have you, Baba? If sugar is less, one, one spoon less, then you'll say, Achy, no sugar in this spoon, in this coffee, etc. Okay, we have our own delicacies. It's very easy to judge the other person. Look at this. Acts chapter 13. Look at what it says. Let's read from verses 1, 1 to 3. 1 to 3. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mayan, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and what? And fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having a fasted. You see how many times the word fasted is mentioned. And prayed and laid hands on them. They sent them away. Fasted. Fasting was a lifestyle of the old church. Of the, of the, of the first church. That was a discipline that they practiced regularly. So one of the things that you need to do, Lord, let my, let me get my body in shape so that I can have what? A body which is prepared for fasting. Why do we do fitness exercises? Oh, now I can indulge. Now I, I remember my friend who used to get into fitness regimes. Vijay, I want to go into fitness regimes so that I can eat fantastically on Sundays. That's what people in the world do. 
I used to, I want to eat like crazy on Sundays so that, so that I can give myself pleasure on a Sunday. I will get into this regime and diet on the first five days and on Sundays I will let go. Why are we doing fitness? For us, it's a different objective altogether. So that we can prepare our bodies for what? Fasting. Because your body has to be prepared first for fasting. So if you don't take these things lightly, no, think about it, guys. Think, 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 think. I'm not, we are, this is not our, these are not laws, okay? These are disciplines. What did I say? Ah! These are not laws. Okay. We are not, we are not putting laws in, in the church. No. We are talking about disciplines. Now think about it. Now we have a world which is bombarding us so much with all kinds of ideas every day. Unsolicited they come to our doorstep. Our doors being our eyes, etc. Now what, how much power and the power of the word and the spirit of God we should have as a deposit in our soul so that we can withstand them and get the world out of our systems? You know how much we should have? It's very easy for the world to get in. I mean like Sister Elsa was praying the other day. Lord, it's so easy to slip into the world. They can be in a constrained environment for such a long time, but they get into the world and they slip so fast. It's so fast to slip down into the world. Unless and until we have been trained in our secret closets of prayer, in solitude and in silence and in fasting. These are very important disciplines. This is to finish our race and to get our crowns. So that we can have a crown and we can sing that song confidently. What is that? We lay our crown at the feet of Jesus. That's what the song we sing, right? Most of the people who sing the song will not have a crown in eternity. Too late at the feet of Jesus. Fasting is such an important thing. Why people don't have the power to withstand the demonic activity? Simply because they're not in, they're not interested in the fa- lifestyle of fasting. Fasting is not going to cast out the demon. Fasting is re- is important for your faith to increase. Show you Matthew chapter nine, verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine. And when he had come into the house, the blind man, sorry, Matthew nine, Mark, sorry, Mark. I'm also making those mistakes. Mark chapter nine, verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Yeah, look at what it says. Hmm? And when he had come to the house, his disciples asked him privately. Who came and asked him privately? Disciples, not the crowds. They are not interested. They are saying, Lord, why didn't we cast out? He said, because you didn't have faith, first of all. Then, a huh? few, few verses back, he says, because you didn't have faith. Why could we not, not cast it out? Then verse 29, so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing, but by what? Praying, Prayer and fasting. And by the way, ESV omits fasting and prayer. It's our, old, it's our early church discipline. A lifestyle of fasting. Yeah. See, the reason why we are not interested in the word of God, we don't come prepared to the house of God is simply because we do not have a lifestyle of fasting. Uh, fasting is important. Grant us grace, Lord, that we will inculcate this discipline. Not because we want to become uh, better than the others. No, 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 no. This is only for our own personal good. We are not looking down upon others. We are only judging our own hearts. Because we are interested in a race. Okay, That is the reason that Paul says, I beat my body and bring it to subjection. How can you bring it to subjection? You tell that fellow. This much and no more. 
How we eat rice, Baba? I was one rice eater, big time. I'm cutting down on rice. And my stomach expanded and expanded and expanded. Now it's very difficult to get it out. All the way. I can't see my belt. Something is coming in the way. Okay. It's interesting, belts are mentioned, isn't it? Belts are mentioned. You know why? I remember one man of God, they asked this question, your church was a fantastic church, how come they compromised so easily? You know what he said? This is what his confession. My pastors said what I could do, but my pastor never told me, never taught, taught me to say no. My pastor never taught me to say no. That's the reason why it says the grace of God has appeared which brings salvation to all men. It teaches us to say what? No to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to deny ourselves. It's a lifestyle to deny ourselves. Next is going to a little more tougher discipline. Frugality. What is that? Ah, frugality. That means simple lifestyle. I'll show you. Matthew chapter 11 verse 7 to 9. We know this verse very well. Don't spend too much money on dresses and clothes, etc. In other words. To buy shoes also I have to think so many times now. I only buy shoes so that I don't attract attention to myself. Understand that? As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken by the wind? No, look at what he says. Verse 8, but what do you do go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. King's houses. And they eat sumptuously also. Frugal living, frugal, simple living. This is one of the disciplines that the early church followed. What is that? Frugality. Frugality, frugal spending, spending me, unnecessary spending nahi karna. My God, think about it, no? How much do we save as money to give away? If you ask ourselves those questions, we have to hang our heads in shame, shame only most of the time. These are not, these are not laws, by the way. These are lifestyles. Lord, I can, I want to deny myself. You know, we've been really fed so well. You should see the calls that I get from pastors. So many pastors. No money. Frugality. Simple simple lifestyle. This is going to be another tough thing. Chastity. Say that. Chastity. What is chastity? Let me explain to you. When this was mentioned few years back, not a few years, quite a few years back, we are in the 13th year of our church. 13th year, right? I think at least 10 years back. It was in 2010 when actually Pastor James was teaching from through the book of Exodus. When the church was starting, no? Those were the days of the sin, transgression and iniquity days, okay? So that was when the church was, was, was being established. I'm telling you, this particular verse ruffled so many people in the church and so many people got offended. 
Now let me show you that verse, okay? What I mean by chastity. Exodus chapter 19, verse 10 onwards. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. This is before he's giving the what? The law, the Ten Commandments, okay? Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And let them be ready for the third day. What did he say? Let them be ready for the third day. Underline those words, okay? This is what God spoke to Moses. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Stop there. Stop there. Stop there for a minute. Before, Don't go ahead of me. Now, this is what is happening. Moses is saying, you're going to receive the law. I mean, God is telling Moses, you guys are going to receive the law. In order for you to receive the law, because law is... Essentially, just not the letter, just spirit too. What, what should you do? Consecrate yourself and be ready. Prepare yourself to hear from God. Now, this is what the commandment that Moses gets in terms of letter. What is that? Be ready. Then you, you should ask this question, how should one be ready? Now, look at that. He's going to explain. Moses is going to come down and he's going to explain to the people as to what it means to be ready. Look at what it says in verse 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you go, don't go up to the mountain nor touch the base, etc. If anybody touches, you'll be put to death. Not a hand, etc. Now let's look at verse. Ah, let's go on. Uh, verse 15. So Moses went down. 14. Okay. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the, the people and they washed their clothes and he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Huh? Do not come near your, oh, do not come near your wives. Now this was, ah, pastor was mentioning something. Okay, he said, you know what? You guys want to hear the word of God on Sunday. And he looked at all the married couples. He said, take it easy on Saturday night. You should see the next day so many people got, I mean, by the next week, 10 days, so many complaints came. Surprisingly for many women, women actually. No, what is he talking about? I'll show you. To understand the spirit behind the letter, you should see the spirit, you should see the letter, and you should see the spirit. What gives the spirit? The new covenant. Okay. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 3 to 5. What is he talking about? Hmm? The principle. And verse 29. Okay. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Did you get that? And likewise also the wife to her husband. Why? The wife does not have authority over her body or own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And then he says, do not deprive one another except with consent. Oh, for a what? For a, for a time that you may give yourselves to what? Fasting and prayer and come together. But what should happen for husbands and wives? They should be separated for a while so that they can give themselves to fasting and prayer. That is what we call as chastity. Why? Why is this important? What are you practicing? 29. Verse 29. 
But this I say, brothers, the time is short, so that from now on, those who are those those who are wives should be as though they had none, so that you can constantly hear from God, be ready to hear from God. This is again a lifestyle. So, what should husbands husbands and wives constantly or rather regularly practice? A lifestyle of uh, what chastity? Chastity without what? Fasting and prayer is useless. Uh, they are chaste because they are upset with each other. Most of the time. They don't, do this. the first law they don't follow. The wife has no body control, uh, the, no, he has no authority over her body except her, except her husband. Husband has no authority over his body except his wife. They don't follow that. But they will be chased for wrong reasons. He's saying, be chased for a time so that you can give yourselves to what? Fasting and prayer. It's a time. This is a, these are disciplines for husbands and wives. So that they can hear from God. Oh my goodness, when this was preached. <laughs> From the pulpit, I remember. <laughs> so many people are upset. Ah, it's not easy. Okay. Of course, it's with consent for a time so that you can give yourselves to fasting and prayer. They do everything. They don't fast. do fast and prayer. They fight each other. And when the instincts get the better of them, they do something else. But there is no lifestyle of fasting and prayer. You see. You know, these are the disciplines that the early church followed. What is that? Chastity. Oh my goodness, this is not easy, brothers. But you want to hear from God? (laughs) You want to hear from God? You want to become in the Elijah company? The principle again, Matthew chapter 19, verse 11. Look at what it says. When Jesus talks about marriage, the disciples say, it is better not to get married. And Jesus does not disagree with them. Okay. Okay. No, you don't get excited, you fellows. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> these are all something totally different. They are spiritual things. Okay. We are not, we are not, these are, you know, God also says marriage is honorable among all. And the bed undefiled also. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Okay. So there's a there's a whole purpose for marriage. It's what we this for sanctification. It's a total different thing. That is a there's both pain and happiness in marriage. Why? Because in the cross there is both pain. In the gospel there is both pain and happiness. Okay. It's what to live out the gospel is what God gives as a matrix in a marriage. But that's a different story or different uh, thing altogether. I'm talking about the discipline of chastity. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but those to whom it has been given. Okay, he's talking about the gift of celibacy. But look at what he says. For there are eunuchs who are born eunuchs from the mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sakes. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. See, this is a principle, so discipline. And both husbands and wives have to practice this regularly. To give themselves over to fasting and prayer, periods of abstinence. So that again they can come together again. Later on. So that 
Satan does not tempt them because of their lack of self-control, it says. But these are these are disciplines. Imagine a husband and wife who does that. What power will be released in their lives? Because they can agree. So totally they love each other. So completely. But these are all things which are possible, my dear brothers. But if the, if unless and until these standards are preached, why can we, why, what, what will we even look at? We'll be happy with our above average standards of morality. And we'll say, oh yeah, one day <laughs> we'll be there as the bride of Christ. Absolutely, I don't think we'll be in for a big surprise. Understand that. All that is the reason. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He was the treasurer of the queen. And how could the queen entrust the entire treasury to this eunuch? Because he would never spend it on himself. That's what eunuchs were. What what does eunuchs mean? These are people who are so absolutely sold out to God. You see, I'll tell you something. When the doctrine of Balaam entered into the church, there stood a Phineas and who killed the doctrine of Balaam. Remember? Phineas. And when the doctrine of Jezebel entered into the church, there was a Jehu who inspired the eunuchs to kill the doctrine of Jezebel. Who are eunuchs? Who are people who who have practiced a lifestyle of chastity. Chastity. May God find in our church husbands and wives who are like that. What an awesome church will be. Awesome church. To convince each other. And to come together. To have that. To really enjoy marriage in that sense. This is what is given to us. These are possibilities. So five disciplines. The second one. The the fifth, sixth one. Matthew chapter 6. What I call secrecy. What is that? Secrecy. (laughs) Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 onwards. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father which is in heaven. Okay. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound your trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be, etc., etc. Okay. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Practicing what is, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your heavenly father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. And this is one discipline that Jesus enjoyed doing. He would come, heal somebody and just disappear from that place. Who healed you? Who healed you? I don't know. Who healed you? John 7 verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Secret. 
It's amazing, no? Think about it, no? You do something and you pray to God that nobody knows except in eternity. And you do that consistently. What a life that will be. You know how much you have to die to yourself? What a discipline it is. You'll be itching for somebody to know. Some people don't want to know. I mean, they are naturally like that. But some people are a little, ah, I did it, okay. Uh, (laughs) Do it in secret. It's a discipline. You think that is easy? To pray in secret. To fast in secret. To give in secret. To not blabber too many words and to listen. Secret. Secrecy is a discipline. That is what makes an Elijah company. This is a problem with the self and the flesh. It loves, I told you, what it, what it loves? It loves prominence. Religion always seeks the approval of men. That's what it, that's what he says in Galatians chapter 1. He says, do I seek the approval of men? If I seek the approval of men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I should not be. And religion is always like that. And when some people are fasting in some religious groups, the whole world knows. It's called a season of fasting or feasting, we don't know. And if you say anything, oh, don't speak bad, don't criticize us. You Islamophobes, etc. So that is the sixth discipline. And finally, sacrifice. What is it? So let us look at all those disciplines. First is what? Solitude. Second is silence. Third is fasting. Third, fourth is chastity. Fifth is secrecy. Oh, I think I missed, missed something. Frugality. Okay, frugality. Chastity, secrecy, and finally, sacrifice, the seventh discipline, sacrifice. You know what? There cannot be worship without sacrifice. You know, the greatest idols of this generation are convenience and comfort. Okay. One of the things that I've understood, you want to know whether the call of God is genuine over your life? you will always be called to inconvenience. I will conveniently come to God. No. The mantle of Elijah falls on Elisha. Finished. What is he supposed to do? My goodness. The job of my life. My career. Burn everything. Come down. Come back. Come come, uh, and follow me. Finished. Over. Convenience and comfort, no. It's always inconvenient. And we don't want to offer to God that which costs us nothing. Second Samuel chapter 24, verse 22 onwards. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now Aruna said to David, let my Lord the King take and offer whatever he seems good to him. Look, here are off oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. And the O king Aruna has given, and all these things O king Aruna has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. And what king said? The king said to Aruna, no, 
but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that which costs me nothing. There is a cost to be paid for discipleship. It is impossible to be a disciple without counting the cost. There is a cost. Therefore, there should be sacrifice. Sacrifice without sacrifice. What is sacrifice? You have to sacrifice your sleep. You have to sacrifice your food. You have to sacrifice spending upon your own self. You have to sacrifice swiggy. I'm telling you honestly, no. Last year, 2019, I used to order from swiggy. Now I'm getting scared to order from swiggy. Get conscience starts pricking. What am I doing? Because you pay in Swiggy so much, you pay extra for convenience and comfort. Do you know that? There's a convenience fee. You see the charges, convenience charges. Psalm 50, verses 4 onwards. Like, like these beautiful verses, verses, Psalm 50, 50, okay? He shall call the heavens from above and the people, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Now look at verse 5. Gather my saints together. Other translations use the word consecrated ones together to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. You know what the word for made covenant? Made means cut off. Kharat. Kharat. Me by sacrifice. And verse 6. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. Covenant with me. That's the reason why he says, Job says, Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Job 31.1, Job 31.1, Job 31.1. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look upon a young woman? What a guy in the old covenant man. A guy who is concerned about sin in his heart. Maybe my children might have sinned in their hearts and cursed God in their hearts. So he would offer what? Burnt offerings continually. Man in the old covenant. Sacrifice. Made covenant. That is the reason why it says, you know what, it takes a lot of sacrifice to strengthen another brother. You have to sacrifice. John 17, 17 onwards. 17 to 19 in fact. Hmm? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then, as you set, send my, send me into the world, I also have sent them, sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And he says, called my sanctified ones, my consecrated ones who have made a covenant with, with, with me with what? With sacrifice. There is sacrifice involved. If you want to sanctify another brother, you have to stop doing a lot of things which are permissible to you. For conscience sake. We who are strong, it says, have to bear with the scruples of the weak. <laughs> Romans chapter 14, if I'm right. 14 or 15. You don't have to turn there. Okay. Scruples of the weak. Sacrifice. Sacrificing. We, parents have to sacrifice a lot of, watching a lot of t- television so that the children can be sanctified. You know that? 
you yourself watch a lot of television and uh, internet and YouTube, how will the children be sanctified? They will, they may be sanctified now, but once they get into the world, they will jump onto the television and consume everything which they can, did not consume in 15 years with you. That is the reason why it says in Matthew chapter 18, turn there. Matthew chapter 18 verse 5 onwards, if I'm right. Whoever receives, yeah, whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it is better for him if a milestone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea and then, and goes on. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offenses come. Therefore, verse 8, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, what should you do? Cut it off. What you should do? Karat. Cut it off. Cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. Why? Why did you cast off, cut, cast, cut off your hands? Why did you cut off your feet? Or why did you t- take off your eyes? You know why? Because you want to sanctify your weaker brother. What is it? It's what we call as a discipline of sacrifice. You don't do so many things. Others can, but you can't. All things are permissible, but all things are not profitable. All things are permissible, but not all things edify, edify, build up the other person. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. And we'll stop. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to the God, to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why? Because you sanctified yourself so completely so that others can be also be sanctified. Understand? Okay. So these are the spirit of discipline. Seven disciplines we learned at Khariyat. What are those seven disciplines? Once again, first, solitude. Okay. Then, silence. Then, fasting. Then, fourth, frugality. Chastity. Secrecy. And sacrifice. And then, you'll be ready. (laughs) One day, to say, Elijah was a man like just like me, I am also like Elijah. You know what? Because the work of the cross is continuously in progress in my life. The spirit of the disciplines. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. We do it for ourselves. Not is not to judge others. No, 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 no. no. We are not becoming holier than thou. No. <laughs> if you're, that is your that is your uh, ad, attitude and your intention, you eat nicely, okay, and put on some weight, okay. <laughs> but if your attitude is, Lord, I want to fast. I want to deny myself. I want to grow in you. I want to. I want this this the spirit of disciplines to be inculcated in my life. So that one day, I can also say, I am like Elijah. So the title of today's teaching is, am I like Elijah? Question mark. Okay, let's pray.
question mark. Father, we just thank you, Father. Father, so many things that you're teaching us through the weeks. And we don't, you don't teach us because you want to titillate our ears. You teach us because, Lord, you desire from us fruit. Otherwise, you say, why does it cumber the ground? Father, may you find in all of us the spirit of the disciplines. That we will truly, truly practice the disciplines of abstinence. Bless us all to that and we pray. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory. For in Jesus' name, Amen. May the Lord richly bless you.